Welcome to Whiskey and Wonder. Hello, hello, everybody. Hello, guys. We are Whiskey and Wonder. <laughs> I don't Sorry, know. Sorry, I'm stuck in this accent. Uh, I'm Megan. I'm Tyler. And I don't know why he was doing that accent, but... I was stuck in it. I told you. Sorry. <laughs> okay. You guys may notice if you're looking at us on YouTube, I got a new microphone. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. We officially, up, well, we upgraded my microphone and then my old microphone became the guest microphone instead of having to use the old, old, cheap microphone we used with Shelby. Yay! So we are taking every step we can to make it so that we can have people in here for interviews and bonus content and all yep. that sort of good stuff. Make this the real deal. Yes. Um. So... As we said, we're Whiskey and Wonder. My name's Tyler. Her name's Megan. You can find us on whiskeyandwonder.com, at Whiskey Podcast, all these places in the show notes, and on the screen if you're checking us out on YouTube. And our YouTube is Whiskey and Wonder. That's our channel. Go check us out. Like us. Subscribe us. Press the bell. Yeah. Smash that like button with your fist, except don't break your computer. <laughs> Um, like I said, you can see all that stuff on the screen in the show notes. If you want to donate PayPal, Patreon, you can find that below. And we appreciate everybody that does support us by rating us, donating, subscribing. It all helps us get recognized a little bit more. Definitely. Let's keep it up. Make this bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you want to buy merchandise, you can do so at whiskeywonder.com. We've got a store. We've got some stuff for sale along with uh, some t-shirts that we were supposed to have up by this week. But now it's Tyler's fault that they're not up. Now it's not it's mine. My fault. It is. <laughs> it is um, not my fault anymore. So it is. I did not. I looked at the cost of what it would take for us to basically purchase the next package so that we can make this easy. Or, and I didn't price it out with how hard it would be to make this happen and if it's even possible to make it happen without that package. So a lot of it had to do with the fact that it's my week to research. So. And I got deeper into research this week than I normally do. That's exciting. I got a whole nother page, maybe a page and a half more what? than I normally do. That is awesome. Yeah. And that's not even handwritten. That's typed. Mm, wow. Proud of yeah. you. Good job. Um, so that's something I will get done this week. I will get the t-shirt website issues figured out. Cool. I know Megan had something she wanted to say real quick. Well, now you made me wonder if I should say it, but now it's too late. It's um, too late because you're committed. I am. Okay. So a uh, couple episodes ago, Tyler did an episode on uh, P.T. Barnum Bailey, the greatest showman, blah, blah, blah. Um, and one of our... It was 100% on Barnum and Bailey's Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey's Circus. Yes. All yep. that. Yep. That, that's a mouthful. <laughs> Um, and one very popular podcast that we both like and follow decided to this week have their episode be on P.T. Barnum and we did it first. So yeah, just like the free Britney movement that Megan did I, right? way back. Yeah, I did it first. Right before Hulu did it. Yep. So, you know, we got the whiskey and wonder trend, trend setting. Yeah. For I, all of our dozens of subscribers. Hashtag trendsetters. Yeah. All right. Um, Have we mentioned what we do? 
Yeah, uh, it, it's episode 37. Seven? If you don't know what we do at this point, you must be lost. We drink whiskey and we wonder. We try a new whiskey every week. Uh, we review it, and then one of us teaches the other one about something that we find interesting. Yeah. So that's what we do. Um, cool beans. As we mentioned last week, and I kind of alluded to earlier, we are looking for guests and guest drinkers for episodes of the podcast. If you want to come on and teach us something, you know, we'd welcome that. We're also looking for people to maybe we could have interviews with people um, and have that be bonus content for, Mm -hmm. you know, you could you could sign up for maybe like a five dollars a month subscription to access that or something. So. We will, uh, you know, if you're interested, shoot us an email. You can find that in the show notes below. I think it's uh, contact at whiskeyandwonder.com. That is correct. Yep. That is our email address. Beautiful. Um, I also want to take a moment to say we're recording on Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Happy Father's Day, especially to my father. Oh, Papa Cross. Papa Cross, friend dad. Happy Father's Day. Friend, dad, happy Father's Day to my pop. Saw him earlier, so he knows. And also, our last announcement, well, we're, we're going to try to make this a little bit quick and jump right into things. Um, we're going to try to have another one of our special events uh, on the 4th of July. The 4th of July falls on a Sunday. As you guys know, we typically record these on Sundays unless life the gets world in the way. It's crazy. Um, and with that being said, I think what we're going to do is we're going to get some of the most common American cheap yeah American whiskeys like Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, the ones that you Evan think Williams. whiskey you use. Yeah, and we're going to kind of compare. It's compare and talk and Yeah, it, it won't be a typical episode. We won't have a topic that week. We'll just kind of mm-hmm. compare the two and or the all of However them. However many we decide yeah. to do. And, um, well, you know, yeah, we'll compare, contrast, try it with ice, try it without, try it with whiskey stones. Yeah. We'll give it a shot and yeah. see what happens, how it goes. If you want to be a part of that, you know, email us. Definitely. Always looking for guests. Definitely. For sure. And guest drinkers. Yep. You'd get probably drunk on that episode. So if you want some free whiskey, email us. That is a great point. <laughs> Oh, that one's going to be a shit show. If you yeah. you guys should listen just for the train wreck that it's going to be. Agreed. Um, uh, as, yep. as I mentioned earlier, thank you guys for the donations and the support. We couldn't do it without you guys. Thank you. And on that note, we'll just jump right on into it. All right. Opening the bottle. So I talked about this last week. I'm going to cut you off for a minute, Megan. And... I said we had several things coming in. I read um, friend John's package that he sent us mm-hmm. and also mentioned that we had ordered our next Flaviar. Well, it's come in. So we have eight, count them, eight different whiskeys lined up. That's try. a lot of whiskeys. That is a lot. So I had to pick which one we're doing today. It was very hard. This is one of our Flaviar whiskeys. Yes, this is... Flaviar. So thank you, Flaviar, for uh, supporting us and sending us our samples. Delicious. Thank you, Flaviar. Tyler's giving you a high five. Yes, that's what I'm doing. I'm not (laughs) trying to get the camera to focus at all. (laughs) 
That's exactly um, what it was. I want to mention, as you guys see, I've held up this little bottle. Um, it's the samples we went with minus the the actual fifth this week or this time are all Japanese whiskey. Yes. That's the one we chose to, to roll with. So yes. we will have some Japanese whiskeys coming up yes. after today we, as well. We probably won't do Japanese whiskey back to back to back to back. Um, and we'll probably switch it up with some of the seven other whiskeys that we have to try. Um, but yes, get prepared for lots of Japanese deliciousness. Awesome. So talk to us about what we got today. All right. So this is a fruit forward dram with a Highland temperament. This is the Kurayoshi eight year old pure malt whiskey. Anything I say and pronounce wrong from here on out, I'm sorry. Matsui Shuzo Distillery was founded in 1910 northwest of Kyoto on the, fa- on the facing the sea of Japan in Totori Prefecture. Importantly, the distillery is within sight of Mount Daisen, a volcanic peak rising more than a mile above the surrounding fertile plains. This is significant because the spring water used to distill their sake, sochu, and whiskey and bring it to proof has been filtered through volcanic stone for eons, resulting in significant purity and a unique soft mineral composition. The Matsui Shuzo Distillery keeps a low profile. It's almost enigmatic in maggot. In maggot? Enigmatic. <laughs> I can't. English is hard. And so is Japanese. And all the world words are very hard. Um, enigmatic with no visitor center or direct sales. But the line whiskeys that comes out of their warehouses are very highly regarded, including 10 single malts under the Kirayoshi brand and five grain whiskeys under the Totori nameplate. All of them very popular with the discriminating dram lovers across the land of the rising sun. Kurayoshi 8-year-old pure malt whiskey has been aged a bit differently than its siblings. Obviously, it has been aged 8 years, which you can tell by the name, but instead of new oak or sherry casks, this dram has aged in ex-bourbon white oak casks. It is a 100% malted barley whiskey sourced from distilleries around Scotland before making their way to Japan, where it is blended with Japanese whiskey aged and cut to proof with the soft ground waters of the legendary volcanic stone filtered water of the Totori Prefecture. The good folks at Matsui Shuzo Distillery execute very well and deliver the goods with a complex, ripe mouthfeel and gentle orange notes that will remind you of a classic Highland single malt. So as I've been sitting here smelling this, and one thing I've really started to notice with these um little small flaviar samplers this is less than i would normally pour by a large margin and i will admit in my glass i honestly probably went a little more like 55 45 with megan getting the majority since i'm presenting um so i, I definitely Wish this was a little bit more, but I think it's enough that we could get a good taste. Yeah. As I'm smell as I've been smelling it, 
This smells like a classic scotch to me. That's what I... It reminds me of a scotch um, with maybe some fruity notes in there. Okay. I feel like I'm getting a lot of orange um, or at least some sort of citrus. I'm almost positive it's orange. Yeah. I, um, I smell orange, um, maybe a little bit of apple. Yeah, maybe. Definitely orange. Orange smells overpowering for me in this whiskey. Um, I'm getting some sort of nutty tone as well. I don't know um, what kind of nut. Maybe a... These nuts? Doze nuts, yep. Um, maybe uh, a, I couldn't resist. Maybe a macadamia nut or, I don't know, some sort of like uh, savory, yummy. This nut. one is really hard for me to pick anything out of other than that orange smell. Okay. I'm well. I'm not sure why, but it is very hard for me to pick something out. Interesting. Well, we are supposed to be smelling... Um, my phone auto locked, so I have to type in the password. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. We are supposed to be smelling almonds and malt. I think the malt is what I'm getting that that makes me say it's like a traditional scotch. Yeah. I think that's the smell that I'm getting. Yeah. I definitely can see or smell the malt. Um, but I don't know. I still, it feels overpowering. Poweringly orange to me. So, have you tried it yet, Tyler? I have not. Okay. Guess it is time. It is. Bottoms up. Mm, cheers. Uh oh. That was a. Did you even taste it? No, that was like a strong inhalation of like it burned the back of my throat, and I didn't even get any alcohol in there. Ooh, very spicy. Oh yeah. It's a spicy meat the ball. Um. Very burny. Um, I just took a little itty, itty, itty oh, bitty sip. man. And yeah. it it burned. It burned hot. Um, Pepperminty. Yeah. Finishes pepperminty. Um, I got the orange on the tip of the tongue for sure, but it basically was orange. Holy Christ, it's making my mouth salivate. <laughs> That's how much the burn was. Um, yeah. Wow. So it was definitely orange in the middle. It was overwhelmingly spicy with a smoky, um, smoky malt flavor. And then the end is just a peppermint burn that lingers with a little bit of that smoky flavor, smoky malt. I'm, I'm going to agree with you. Um, the burn is intense, like, woo. That is, like Tyler said, it's making my mouth salivate. And I'm going to have to like sit here and like swallow my spit. Yeah, that's, um, that's exactly what I had to do. I had to like yeah, force like, myself ugh. to swallow. Um, getting orange. Um, and then, yeah, I'm getting like the, um, the smoky scotch type flavor. Um, not quite ashtray-y as some scotches. No, definitely not. It's smoky. Um, it's not yeah. peaty. It's not yeah. ashy. Um, so this was a Flaviar sample, so we do have the spiral card. Spiral card. Which here. we still don't really know how to read, or do we figure it out for sure? I know the bigger things. I think it's supposed to be from the outside in, and I think the outside right here is the smell because it says nutty and fruit. 
as the smell, but they're both very small. Okay. Which is kind of what we said we smelt. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, maybe some oak and caramel, caramel. Uh, but as far as the largest ones, they are almond, orange, or, blah, 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 blah. almonds, orange zest, green apple, vanilla, and malt. Getting the malt, getting the orange. I've, I smelled I've, the almond, but I'm not tasting almond. I I never smelt or tasted almonds. I don't feel like almonds have much of a smell. Sure they do. Even in real life, I maybe my nose just isn't that sensitive. Then I don't know. Uh, like almond, um, like there's almond like smelling lotion and stuff. It smells good. Mm, almond. For all those of you on YouTube, do I look like I put lotion on? <laughs> Lumberjack physique. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> um, I'm a little conflicted over my feelings on this one right now. I definitely get. Um, ooh, I got the vanilla that time. Ooh, yeah, that's it's exciting. Like in the back of my throat. Okay. Towards, towards the end of the middle and the beginning of the end. Um. Nope. Yeah, I I'm not crazy. I did smell green apple. Yes, you did. So there's that. Um, we are supposed to be tasting fruit forward with green apple, almond, orange zest, vanilla, and caramel, and is supposed to finish gentle and smooth. Um, I would say the finish is pretty gentle. The peppermint rides, I, I this is going to sound stupid, but I think of it like a slide, like the peppermint, like a gentle one is like a gentle slide that goes down, whereas like an extreme is like, whew. Yeah. You know, and this is a gentle ride down with the peppermint and yeah. the smoky malt. Yeah, it's definitely, it burns really hard, really fast at first, but it's not a lingering, yep. like, it's not a sitting in your chest, like, <gasps> burn. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. All right, so I guess we'll keep on sipping. Yep. While I teach y'all some good stuff today. Yeah, teach us. It's time for the wonder segment. So, earlier, actually it was earlier in the week, I was talking to Megan and friend Shelby about my topic, and I had picked it, but I hadn't researched it yet because I had some some background knowledge on it. And Megan guessed that the topic was, I told her she wouldn't, I didn't think she was necessarily going to enjoy it. I said NASCAR. And she goes, NASCAR. <laughs> it's NASCAR related. <laughs> but I just told her earlier before we started recording, the person it's about is, I would like to say, similar to the Rube Waddell of NASCAR. And that got me hooked. That now I want to know about this person. So if you don't know who Rube Waddell is, go check out... Uh, a couple episodes ago, Megan did one on him, her favorite baseball player ever. Yes. In a million years. Yes. Rube Waddell is a treasure. So, today we're going to learn about Tim Richmond. Never heard of him. I didn't figure. Especially <laughs> if you didn't know NASCAR. Nope. No idea. Anybody out there that is a NASCAR fan may or may not know the name Tim Richmond. 
So, Tim Richmond wasn't your ordinary NASCAR driver in the 1980s. 80s. All right. Big hair, neon colors. Mullets. Mullets and mustaches in NASCAR. Oh, I was thinking like in general. Yeah. No, mullets and mustaches in NASCAR. Uh, At a time when the sport was evolving from the party on Saturday, race on Sunday mentality towards a more family-friendly atmosphere, Richmond was a standout personality. He was more rock star than Southern Cowboy, something that earned him the nickname Hollywood. I like him already. In addition to all that, he was a pretty damn good driver too. Despite all of his talent behind the wheel, his lifestyle would ultimately lead to one of the saddest endings to a career that was on the brink of greatness. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so let's go back to the beginning. Tim Richmond was born in Ashland, Ohio, to Al and Evelyn Richmond. Now, Papa Al was a welder for construction companies in the area, and Evelyn was a field office manager. They actually met through their work. Al eventually noticed that highway repair crews had to completely dig up the road anytime they wanted to make any repairs, and he said, hmm, I can fix this. And so he invented a machine that bored under the highway, which made repairs much easier and efficient. Is that machine still used today? Uh, probably. Some version of it. There's um, been work on 85 at night when I've been going home, and I see something. I know they do have drill bores that basically go vertical. They do a lot of drilling for like um, fiber and whatever, utility lines like that. So. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same invention, but I'm sure. Same concept. Same concept, yep. Okay. Um, Papa Papa, uh, Richmond started Richmond Manufacturing and began selling his new machine, and soon he was exporting them worldwide and became quite wealthy. Tim, growing up in such a wealthy family, was treated very differently by his schoolmates, which caused his parents to send him to Miami Military Academy. Oh, he had to go to boot camp. Yeah. His mother moved to Miami while his father stayed in Ohio with the business. Tim, at a young age, was a natural at most sports, excelling in football and track and field. He was even named Athlete of the Year in 1970s by the school and had his jersey, his football jersey, retired. By the age of 16, Richmond had also earned his, his personal pilot's license. By how old? Age 16. 16 here in yep. a pilot's license. Yep. Uh, Richmond, this dude's an overachiever in boot yeah, camp. <laughs> I know. Richmond began driving as a toddler in a go-kart that uh, he would drive around his yard, and he eventually began taking it to some local racetracks in Ohio. When he turned 16, his parents bought him, get this, man, it must be nice. His parents bought him a small two-seater airplane. Oh, but, just an airplane. But wait, there's more. A speedboat. Oh. But wait, there's more. And a Pontiac Trans Am. Oh, my God. Tim's mother openly admitted that she spoiled her only son, stating, I did everything for him. You I think? ruined him. I admit it. He was my whole life. Oh, my God. He got a plane, a boat, and a car. At 16. For his 16th birthday. Must be nice. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, Papa Al co-owned a sprint car, which is a type of open-wheel car that has a big angled roof on the top. Um, and Tim joined him and the team as a crew member, or Tim joined the team as a crew member. 
1976, while at Lakeville Speedway in Lakeville, Ohio, Tim took the car out on the track just to run some practice laps, ended up running faster lap times than what the driver, Dave Shoemaker, was running. This was his first time ever driving an actual race car. Papa Al realized this, and he bought Tim a red, white, and blue sprint car with the number 98, and Tim took it to his first competition. He, placed, he, wa- he was placed in the slowest heat, which is a race to qualify for the main race, and he passed several cars early on, but ended up spinning out and breaking the rear axle. Ooh. He didn't end up finishing the race. Oof. But the car was repaired, and Tim raced in his second event at Eldora Speedway, where he crashed the car again, causing his father to fire him as the driver. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the career of Tim Richmond. No, I'm kidding. Oh, the end. Okay, <laughs> on to mail time. <laughs> um, sprint cars didn't seem to suit Tim's driving style, so Papa Al broke out his checkbook again, this time buying Tim a super modified car. He bought him another car. Yeah, which is just a different type of open wheel car that's even more modified. It doesn't look anything like a car, basically. So now he has had at least three cars bought for him within yes. a year. Uh, but the, the race cars, I'm sure, were either resold or they found a new driver hmm. and still run. Okay. Mm, uh, this car worked a little better for Tim, and he went on to win Rookie of the Year and Super Modified Class Track Champion at Sandusky Speedway. Tim tried his hand again at sprint cars in 1978, competing in the United States Automo—I'm uh, sorry, United States Automobile Club's National Sprint Car Series. That's the USAC Sprint Car Series. For anybody familiar with the acronym, he ended up finishing 30th in points, but won Rookie of the Year. Around the same time, Tim set a new course record while attending a road race driving school and won a mini IndyCar event at Phoenix International Raceway. This began attracting the attention of some of the major team owners in IndyCars, like Roger Penske, who was also a major team owner in NASCAR, by the way. I thought Penske sounded familiar. Yep. It's also Penske moving trucks. Yep, that's probably what I was thinking of, pretty honestly. Sure, pretty sure he owns those as well. Uh, naturally, Tim was ready to take the next step. Or I'm sorry, naturally, since Tim was ready to take the next step, Papa Al bought him an Indy car. Four cars. Four cars. Is he um, still 16? No, he's... Uh, this was in 1978, I believe. So, 79. Sorry, he bought him the Indy car in 1970. So he's moved. He I don't I don't think I ever could find a date of when he graduated high school. Uh, let me see if I can go back here. Okay. Uh, Nineteen seventy. He was in high school. So he's okay. He's so in his twenties. No. Yeah. No, he's been out. Okay. Um, like I said, Papa Al bought a Indy car for him to run at the nineteen seventy nine Michigan International Speedway race, where he qualified twenty first out of twenty three cars. Ooh. Approximately twenty five miles per hour off of the fastest time. Oh, that's not good. Despite not starting last, Tim finished last when his engine blew up on lap four. Oh, shit. (laughs) Although the race hadn't gone as planned, it it did earn Tim a test with car owner Pat Santello, who was looking to hire a new driver for the next week's race at Watkins Glen. The test was happened to be at the same track where Tim had set the course record while in the road racing driving school. So it's fairly safe to say that he crushed it and was hired. 
At Watkins Glen, Tim qualified 15th and finished 8th, his best ever IndyCar finish. He would go on to race three more events that season. I am sorry here, guys. My contacts, my eyes are dry, and they're like screwing up on me. Everything's blurry. Do we need to pause and you get your glasses? No. Okay. I can make it. Okay. In 1980, Tim attempted the Indianapolis 500. You might have heard of it. <laughs> Maybe. After a crash in practice uh, the morning of qualifying, and after subsequent, subsequent repairs, he was able to rebound and qualify 19th for the race. During the race, he managed to work his way into the top 10 and even lead a lap. He finished 9th after running out of fuel on the last lap, last lap and was named the Indianapolis 500 Rookie of the Year. So Tim continued competing in open-wheel racing for about two months after the Indy 500. He had another couple crashes, and his mother ultimately asked him to stop. Tim is quoted saying, I was afraid my racing career would come to a halt. So when I got an offer to drive stock cars, I took it, and it turned out I liked driving them better. He found his. You found your niche. He found his calling for sure. Well, one of his two callings, maybe. Anyway. Curious. All right. Tim made his first NASCAR start in the Coca-Cola 500 at Pocono Raceway on July 27, 1980. I know you're not a NASCAR fan, and for all those that listen that are not NASCAR fans, Pocono is a three-cornered racetrack. It is a big triangle. Shaped kind of like this. Okay. Kind of like that. So it's not your typical NASCAR track. And I thought NASCAR tracks are just always a circle. No, there's road courses. They've got 10 road races on the schedule this year. Oh. And Pocono's a triangle and Indianapolis is a big rectangle. Okay. Anyway. Road races, does that mean like they actually go? Right and left. Right and left? Mm-hmm. Oh, that actually might be interesting. They do a road race in Charlotte, the Roval, in October. It's, Shrug. Yeah, they drive on the on the actual track and through the infield. There's like a road course built into the infield. They call it the Roval. Hmm. Um, anyway. Interesting. Tim made his first NASCAR start at in the Coca-Cola 500 at Pocono Raceway on Ju- uh, Ju- July. I can't read. July 27th, 1980. <laughs> he drove a Chevrolet owned by D.K. Ulrich and went on to finish 12th in his first ever stock car race. How many are in the stock car race? 40 to 43. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, not that's bad. That's pretty good. Richmond made a total of five starts that season, earning two DNFs, or did not finish, and three 12th place finishes. Talk about consistency. <laughs> All right. What it, was his number? Was it 98 still? Uh couldn't i didn't find what number he's most known for racing the number 25 okay but we'll get there okay at the beginning of 1981 tim raced 15 races for ulrich before being hired away by kenny childers during these 15 races he earned his first top 10 finishing 10th at bristol motor speedway followed by a seventh at texas world speedway and a sixth at talladega after being hired away by childers Tim would have two more top 10 finishes. And for the final seven races of the season, Tim drove for Bob Rogers and had one top 10 during the stretch at Dover International Speedway. Totaled up, 
In his first full-time season, Tim Richmond had six top 10 finishers in his first ever full season driving stock cars. I take it that's impressive. It is. Okay. In 1982, Richmond started the year without a ride, but ended up getting a one-race deal for Rockingham Speedway with Mike Laverne's team. Unfortunately, he finished 31st due to Mm. engine problems. J.D. Stacy hired Richmond to drive for him, and Richmond went on to finish 5th at the following event at Darlington Speedway. Richmond would go on to finish 2nd at Pocono and get his first win at Riverside Raceway, a road course in Southern California that's no longer in existence. The final race of the season was also held at Riverside, and Richmond won his second race, sweeping both events at that track that year. Throughout the season, Richmond would go on to finish 26th in points with 12 top 10 finishes, two wins, and one pole. Pole is when you qualify fastest, you start the race first. Wow. In 1983, Richmond drove for Raymond Beadle, winning his first oval track, oval track, Pocono. That's the same triangle track. This season, Richmond would finish 10th in points with one win, four pole positions, and 15 top 10 finishes. Wow, Jesus. I I think it's safe to say by this point that Tim Richmond was much better at racing stock cars than he was at racing open wheel cars. Yeah. In 19... What? Well, I'm sure you're going to go over it, but... How come we don't know about him? Oh, I will get to it. He's Rube Waddell. Okay. Okay. In in 1984 and 85, Richmond continued driving for Beetle, amassing 24 top 10s and one win. For reference, there's roughly, uh, they probably added dates, so I don't know how long the schedules were. There used to be about 36 races each season. So he was doing pretty good. He finished 12th and 11th in points, respectively. Wow. Okay. Yeah. He was kicking ass. The schedule was shorter back then. Um, one thing to remember for anybody who isn't too familiar with NASCAR is that many of the teams that Richmond was racing for were not top teams at the time. Basically meaning that they didn't necessarily have the best equipment. He's doing this with average equipment, not the best. That all changed in 1986. Tim Richmond was hired by Hendrick Motorsports to drive the number 25 Folgers car. You may have heard of them. I do know Hendrick Motorsports. They only won seven championships in a row with Jimmy Johnson. And Jeff Gordon won a ton. Anyway. I got my car from their... Hendrick? Yeah, their uh, dealership. <laughs> you know, that's how he got into NASCAR. He, he was a car dealer. And that gave him the startup money to... Start his team in NASCAR. Well, it obviously worked, and now he has fifty billion, gajillion, trillion, jillion dollars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hendrick was one of the Hendricks was one of the uh, powerhouse teams in the sport. Despite all this, or despite this, it took a while for Richmond and his crew chief Harry Hyde to find success. It wasn't until the middle of the season that they were able to string together back-to-back second-place finishes at Charlotte and Riverside only to follow it up with a win at Pocono. Richmond went on to sweep both races at Pocono that season and finished the season with seven wins, the most of any driver that that year. He had 13 top fives, including four second-place finishes and 16 top tens. Richmond finished third in points, only behind Dale Earnhardt and Daryl Waltrip. 
Oh, wow. Those are big names. Yes. I know both of those, and I'm not a NASCAR fan. Yes. Richmond was coming into his own as a rival to folks like that. Richmond won, uh, yeah, Richmond won it, uh, several very prestigious tracks during this season as well, such as Daytona and Darlington. Now, before we go any further with his career, before we go any more into Tim Richmond, the driver, let's talk about Tim Richmond, the person. All right, I'm putting on my seatbelt. As I mentioned earlier, Richmond was more rock star than racer. He loved to party. And he had a flamboyant personality. I got a few stories here that exemplify exactly who Tim Richmond was outside of the race car. I'm excited. So back in the day, at some races, drivers would have to introduce themselves on a stage before the race. Prior to one race at Charlotte Motor Speedway, where he'd qualified second or the outside pole, Richmond staggered onto the stage with a plastic cup in his hands and his, and his hand and his driver uniform zipped down to his belly button. <laughs> when he reached the microphone, he yelled to the crowd, I'm Tim Richmond. Just having a great time sitting here on the front row. <laughs> then he chugged from his cup and staggered away. Was he actually <laughs> drunk? Some people didn't put it past him, but it turned out this was all just an act by Richmond. Just to be a showman. Who's the dude that flips out of his car every time? Carl Edwards. He retired. He retired really early. I don't know. I just yeah. someone did flips. Yeah, he did a back. He did backflips. Uh, another story. Uh, Dale Earnhardt was known to rent out an entire bar for a night, all drinks on him, about the time of the Coca Cola Six Hundred every year. Damn, Dale. Yeah, Dale was a baller. Several people over the years left this party with black eyes and fat lips. Of course, a bunch of rednecks get together. It's going to happen. <laughs> Nobody ever did it faster than Tim Richmond. One year, he didn't last 10 minutes in the bar before starting a fight. Okay. So this next story, this next paragraph just perfectly describes Tim Richmond, and it transitions very well to back to his career. So I'm shamelessly taking it from an article that I found on thebody.com. Word for word, it was written by Drew Gibson. Not going to give the name of the article because it spoils something that will come later, but I do have it and I will mention it at the end of the episode. So okay. you will get your credit at the end of the episode. Drew Gibson. Anyway, here's the paragraph. On the track, Richmond uh, was all business. Off of it, partying and pursuing pretty ladies was his business. Richmond was NASCAR's answer to Joe Namath a suave and savvy Don Juan who was as comfortable in furs and Ferragamo loafers as he was in a racing suit. He had an apartment in New York City, a houseboat in Florida, and he spent much of his time away from the track hobnobbing with celebrities and enjoying the company of the fairer sex. At a time when NASCAR drivers' appeal didn't really leave the South, Richmond was unlike anyone the sport had ever seen, and to the vexation of many of, many of the old guard, the Yankee could drive. I actually missed one story because I put it out of order, so I'm going to hit it real quick. But it also transitions very well. Okay. In Atlanta, Richmond was once spotted in the backseat of a limo, hopping from nightclub to nightclub, 
buying several bottles of Dom Perignon at a time, only to wake up the next day, still in the backseat of the limo, with his wallet and Rolex gone. Wallet and Rolex gone. 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 He's gone. He's gone. <laughs> the only thing that was left behind was a pair of panties. <laughs> that chick played him. Yep. Mm. So every year, NASCAR has a promotional trip to New York City to, after the season's over to celebrate the champion. And Tim Richmond fell ill the day after the banquet in 1986. He was so ill that he was unable to compete at the beginning of 1987, at the beginning of the 1987 season, even after spending a lengthy amount of time in the hospital. Oh, shit. Whoa. It was reported that he had double pneumonia and was forced to miss the Daytona 500. Richmond was able to return during the middle of the year for the Miller High Life 500 at Pocono, where he was able to win despite having transmission issues resulting in the car only having fourth gear. He was very emotional after this win. Richmond went on to win the next week as well at Riverside and made his final start of the season at Michigan, where he blew an engine. In September of 1987, Richmond resigned from Hendrick Motorsports. Hendrick Motorsports. In 1988, Richmond attempted a comeback but was suspended by NASCAR for testing positive for banned substances. It was later revealed that these substances were Sudafed and Advil. In response to the suspension, Richmond sued NASCAR. Richmond was adamant that he had never abused drugs, and in a 2010 ESPN 30 for 30 documentary, Bill Franch Jr., who was the president of NASCAR from 1972 to 2000, stated that it was, quote, not a good test. NASCAR also demanded that Richmond release his medical records to them, which he refused. I mean, that's uh, not okay. Ultimately, Richmond was retested and was reinstated, but he couldn't find a ride. Mm. The suit with NASCAR was settled out of court and the terms were sealed. But shortly afterwards, Tim Richmond withdrew to his home in Florida. So, so, why was Tim Richmond, this talented, up-and-coming potential rival to Dale Earnhardt, suddenly and obviously blackballed from NASCAR? Because shortly after the start of the 1987 season, rumors and reports came out that Tim Richmond had AIDS. Oh, fuck. In the 1980s, AIDS was just becoming a national concern in the U.S., and since so little was known about the disease, people were panicking about it. I saw some reports where children were being pulled out of schools by parents if somebody was rumored to have AIDS. It, it was a very, very bad time. It was. In the 80s, AIDS had the stigma of typically being associated with gay men as, quote, a gay-related immune deficiency gay cancer, or community-acquired immune dysfunction. Now, Tim Richmond was far from gay, but he definitely liked to party and chase women. So, who infected Tim Richmond is unknown, but it's rumored that Richmond knew he had AIDS and still continued his ways, infecting multiple women. <gasps> In fact, 
Richmond never officially told anyone he had AIDS with the exception of one person, and that's Dr. Jerry Punch. Now, I got a little side note here because Jerry Punch is somebody that could have his own NASCAR-related episode. So it probably doesn't, that name doesn't mean anything to you unless you're familiar with NASCAR. But Dr. Jerry Punch is a physician and a broadcaster. For many years, he worked through the week as the director of emergency medicine at Bunnell Community Hospital in Florida while working as a NASCAR broadcaster on the weekends. This caused Dr. Punch to have a certain level of trust with, the NAS- with most NASCAR drivers who tended to be skeptical of typical doctors. In some instances, he would be the only doctor at the racetrack, which resulted in him saving multiple drivers' lives after serious wrecks. Oh, wow. That's one cool. of, in one of these events, Dr. Punch accidentally left his broadcast microphone live on in his back pocket, and the entire broadcast audience listened as he and other safety personnel stabilized the driver until help could arrive. That's so cool. Like I said, an entire episode could be done on this guy. I just listened to the Dale Jr. download about his stories. Check that episode out. It's great. But this episode's about Tim Richmond. As the rumors flew around the garage areas, or the garage area, team members and drivers became paranoid that they would catch AIDS from someone that Richmond had passed it to. It's never officially been admitted, but this is probably the reason why NASCAR blackballed Richmond. And just to give an example of how much he was removed from the sport, I grew up watching NASCAR from when I was a wee little thing. I went to my first race at Rockingham Speedway. I couldn't have been more than three or four years old. I never even heard the name Tim Richmond until I was in college. Wow. It's only recently that NASCAR history, that the history of all this and the shady tactics of NASCAR has been brought to light. And I would encourage anybody with any more, any interest to go and check out the ESPN 30 for 30. Uh, It's called Tim Richmond to the limit. Now, the name of the article is the title of the article. uh, (laughs) The title of the article I used above is high speeds, low T cell counts, the HIV story of Tim Richmond and NASCAR by Drew Gibson found on the body.com. So that is the story of Tim Richmond and how he was blackballed by NASCAR for having AIDS. And that's why they wanted him to release his medical records because they knew something was off. Wow. Was it ever proven that he had HIV? Yes. It he, was. He di- oh, I'm, he, I'm terrible at this. I like, <laughs> oh, my God. You're leaving I, me hanging, I bro. Did. Um, <laughs> okay. I got to look up the most important detail. He, he did? Yeah. Okay. Um, As you on, look- I'm sorry. On oh, August 13th, 1989, Tim Richmond died at the age of 34, about ah. two years after his final NASCAR race. Fucking hell. Oops. Okay. So, yes, he died shortly thereafter from AIDS. Um, And if you really, really kind of think about it, AIDS, especially, I don't want to say in the public eye, but I know it got a lot of attention after Freddie Mercury came out in 93 saying that he had AIDS. And this happened in the late 80s. So... I, I seriously mean, I never heard the name Tim Richmond until I was in college. Yeah. I had no idea who he was, but this guy was on the brink of greatness. 
we just got. Threw it away partying. I will say that if he knew that he was infected and he continued to party and do, didn't do anything safely and like got other people infected, he is a grade A douche cunt. I can't disagree with that. Um, but he sounds like a fun dude too. I, 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 I know. I conflicted. I know. I'm so conflicted. I know. Like he sounds, yeah, fun, but at the same time, I'm like, damn, bro. Like, yeah, I get ugh. you. I understand. So, well, wow. All right. Tim Richmond. Tim Richmond. Trivia with Tyler. Did that sound funny to you? That sounded funny to me. It sounded funny to me too. I think I double tapped it. Oh very, well, very close. We will see if it sounds <laughs> funny when we publish. It's probably going to. Sorry, guys. <laughs> All right. So this week's trivia with Tyler. I found it, and normally I start with the oldest one I have to keep them, but it relates to my last topic. Oh, okay. P.T. Barnum's famous elephant, Jumbo, got his name from the Swahili word for chief. It was the elephant who caused the word Jumbo to mean something large, not the other way around. Oh, cool. So, There's you another little P.T. Barnum nugget Neato. that Time Suck may or may not have had. I don't know. I didn't listen to the episode yet. Okay. All right. So let's... Move on to my favorite when we have it. Mail time. Mail time. Thank you, friend Morgan, for Come, sending us an email. Coming through clutch on a Sunday. That's yes. what we like. Thank you. Yeah. Have some applause. Friend Morgan says, hi, guys. Smiley face. I absolutely enjoyed the Carlsbad Cavern story from Papa Cross. Yes. I couldn't stop laughing. It made my morning. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. Yes. Yes. So, Papa Cross, you have a fan. We need to get you on here. You need to make a trip out here. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Um, friend Shelby did an awesome job filling in with y'all. It was great to see her in the pod chair. Oh, we just got a new name. The pod, pod chair. chair. Yes. We are taking that, Morgan. That is that is, yes. The pod you have, chair. You have named yes. it. Oh my God. The pod chair. The pod chair. I love it. Um beautiful. And then she's got raises Paul. <laughs> Pompey would love to be your assistant, Tyler. He loves research and will work for biscuits and belly rubs. Good, because that's what I can afford to pay. <laughs> <laughs> He's oh, keep up. Uh, keep up the good work. You're both doing a fantastic job. Cheers, friend Morgan. And she included this beautiful picture of Pompeii with some glasses on. Yes. Can you see that? Yes. Okay. And I will upload that to our Instagram as well. Yes. Um, Because Pompeii is adorable. He is adorable. I miss seeing him I do regularly. Too. I do too. He's so, a good boy. Uh, Pompeii, you're hired. I will have a bag full of treats and all the belly rubs you can handle. And your research topic, I will have that to you by Saturday. 
Uh, on that note, guys, if you want to contact us, let us know if we're doing something good here. Let us do if we're, let us know if we're doing something bad. Yes. Let us know if my microphone sounds good because it sounds good to me, but you know it might sound bad to you. I haven't played too much with the audio. I pretty much let it left it set up like my other one. So yeah, I don't know. How it sounds. How it sounds. So give us feedback on that. Give us feedback on if you like any of the whiskeys we've tried. If you want us to try any whiskeys. If you want any specific topics covered. If you've got any funny stories on Megan or myself. Maybe not myself. Definitely Tyler. <laughs> I realize as I said that, friend Shelby's probably got some stories. Uh, um, Let's uh, hear some of those, yeah. Shelby, please. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Shoot us an email so we can keep doing mail time. It is one of our favorites. We love to hear from you guys. Definitely. So please, please, please email us. Um, even if you think like your little tiny email won't matter, like it would make our day even just to hear like a, a thumbs up from you guys, just anything. We want to know that you're out there, you're listening and you're enjoying or um, not enjoying. Yes. Let us know. Give us feedback. We may agree. We may disagree. We'll take it to heart either way. Agreed. Final thoughts. So, I just looked at the time. I did an extra page and a half worth of research, more than I normally do. And yet, we are still only at 53 minutes. <laughs> so, slack a lacking. No, I just, no, I, I was I really excited and just blew through that. It was a very interesting topic. Um, how would you say, would, would you, Rube Waddell of NASCAR, does it kind of live up to that? Yeah. He's, he wasn't as odd as Rube, but he was like, you just never heard of him and he was great. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I would definitely say I would have liked to heard more of his party stories. Um, it's hard to find some of those. I think yes. the documentary, I couldn't find it for free without buying something. So I didn't actually get to watch it, I'm but surprised I surprised you didn't hoist the Jolly Roger. I could have, but I chose not to today. It's on my list to watch, though. It is definitely. I want to know more about Tim Richmond, and I want to know more of the party stories, like you said. But it's kind of hard to get those. It's kind of one of those you had to experience that. Yeah, makes sense. So, anyway, makes let's sense. get on this whiskey. I got a little right. bit left. I do too. Um, at one point, I was like bringing it up to my lips and I somehow like breathed into the glass and it like blew up the fumes and it like went in my eyeball. That's <laughs> what happened with my throat early when I started to take a sip and ended up nothing. It blew into my throat and like made me made me choke. Um, yeah, so my eyes still kind of not feeling right. Um, the The burn for this, the peppermint that is initially there, though it doesn't linger. Oh, it burns. I wouldn't even say that the one at the beginning is peppermint to me. It's the the one at the finish. I would say there's two distinct two distinct spices here. There's just excuse me, straight spice and then there's peppermint. Peppermint after. The you know what? I would agree with that. I thought I took another sip. It is two different burns. Um yeah, that initial burn is uh painful if you are a masochist. This is going to be your whiskey because it it hurts. It's, I wouldn't say it's masochist level pain, but it's yeah. it's a good solid burn. I, I would, like give, I would most... give the burn a, like a six uh, six out of ten. I feel like it's the most potent burn we've had so far. Oh, I disagree wholeheartedly. No, 
Mm-mm. No, I, I can't think of anything specific, but I know there's been some that have burned more. Um, yeah, like I said, six out of ten on the burn. Ten being, I watched a guy on Reddit literally eat a piece of flaming charcoal today. So Jesus, <laughs> I'm gonna put ten as like flaming charcoal burn. Uh, yeah, people are stupid. Um, I was finally able to get almond when I put the whiskey in my mouth and like swished it around. I got almond. I didn't get to drink too much uh, for uh, presenting. Yep, and just everything that's been going on. I'm not. I got to really limit my alcohol intake, so that's why I gave Megan a little bit more than I normally get. This is literally all the drinking I do. Do you want to be a guest and just drink whiskey and tell us what you think about it while Tyler can't drink? Email us at contact at whiskeyandwonder.com. I'm still going to taste them. Okay. I I I still want to taste all these. Friend Shelby. um, Yeah, of course. she did. Yeah. Where she had a full finger and you had little like. I had just mm. the sippies. Sippies. That's Um, adorable. I would. For me. I like everything about this, except for that smoky, malty flavor. I I have kind of come to the realization, I, not a fan of malt. I, I'm just not a fan of malty flavored, and I'm overly malty. I guess I like it subtly, but not especially combined with smoky. Yeah, that just doesn't do it for me. Um. Might do it for you. And if it does, email us. Yeah. If it doesn't. Email us. <laughs> she took the words out of my mouth. Um, So I'm going to take one last sip here. I, hmm. I don't know. I'm, you said you like everything except the smoky maltiness and I, I'm not like hating myself drinking this whiskey. It's not something that I like think, Ooh, this is disgusting, but this is not anything I would buy. Um, yeah, I don't think I would buy this again. Um, yeah, this is not going to be something I want to drink more of. So that's definitely going to affect my rating. Um, I, how did it feel shooting? I'll say that because you shot that last little bit. Honestly, a little less burn. It was it was like I still had the lingering burn mm-hmm. on the end, but the the initial burn was the initial burn was subdued, but I didn't really get much flavor just because most of the flavors right on the beginning. Yeah. So yeah, if sense. you're gonna shoot it, it's limited. Uh it being just knowing uh what I know about Japanese whiskey, you know what I've what we've talked about, and whatnot, how it tries to imitate Scotch. Mm-hmm. I think they did a pretty decent job at imitating a Scotch. Here. Yeah. Um, just for me, the I'm not the I, I I really think it's the smoky more than it is the malt. I'm just not a huge fan of that flavor. Yeah. I would probably. If I if you put this in front of me and forced me to drink it, I could. Yeah, agreed. But like, I'm not going to. Even if I had this, like if I had a bottle, I'm glad this was a 
a sample. A sample, yeah, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back to it if it was a bottle. I would break it out for somebody that came over that might be curious and wanted to try a Japanese whiskey or wanted to try something new. Yeah. Maybe use it as a mixer, something. I don't even think I would use it as a mixer. It would it would be the one where, like, if my liquor cabinet got low, it, it would be, like, one of the last ones out of the liquor cabinet. Like, I would drink it if it was all I had there. Okay. You know? So. Yeah. I'm going to give it... I'm going to give it a four out of ten. Okay. All right. Um, I've been thinking that I'm going to give it a three. So I'll do a three out of ten. Not, not my favorite whiskey. Um, it's not garbage because if it was garbage, Megan would have rated it a zero. That is She's true. She's not afraid to throw a zero down on that paper. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and um, me, I pretty much have a range of three to six, seven. <laughs> I got to start getting a little, a little, a little more, more crazy with my. Ratings. Ratings. Yeah. And you're very you. You're very moderate. I am. I'm. I mean, that's it, because there's only been a like two or three where I was like, I would not drink this again. Yeah. I mean, there's only been like two that I've said I will not drink this again. Yeah. I think uh, I that, know the two that I think of off the I, top yeah, of my head. Yeah. Same here. That are just like. Bleh. Yeah. I would agree with. The, I can. I can. We're on the same brain brainwave there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I'm not. I would drink it if I had to. I'm not going to go out of my way to find this. And for the price point of what a fifth is, I am not going to buy this. What is the price point for a fifth? On Flaviar, for a member, it was like eighty three ninety nine. Good Lord. Yeah. Not worth that price point, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I might... Yeah, like I said, I, I don't even think I would seek this out. Even if it was like 40 bucks, I don't think I would pay for it. No. No, it would... It'd have to be a gift. Yeah. Like, yeah, and I'm not... I don't know. Not a big fan. All right. Well, next week, let's alternate. Let's do... We did a Flaviar sample this week. Mm-hmm. Let's do one of... The samples sent by friend John next week. We'll do either we got one, two, three, and four. Okay. Um let's see here what we got here. I think these are all local. Uh to where he lives? Yeah, local to where he lives, all single barrel. Oh, so pulling them up online to like find taste notes is gonna be impossible. Might be. So all right, well. We're going to have some fun doing this. Yeah, hopefully I can find some information about the distilleries at least, I guess. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. We will find out. I'm excited for these because I'm, I think we're starting to get, I mean, we've been doing this now. This is episode 37. Mm-hmm. We've been doing this for. 37 weeks? No, longer than that because oh, we've yeah. skipped a couple. We've missed a couple, but, um, you know, we're getting on. I think September September 28th, I believe, was when we first published an episode. Okay. I think. It was in the 20s, September 20s. Somewhere in there is a, about the first, it'll be about a year. So we've been doing this for about nine months or so, and I'd say we're getting our legs under us. Um, I'm, let's just say I'm excited for not Japanese whiskeys. <laughs> just because, I, and I don't want I was right, September 28th. I don't want to shit on Japanese whiskeys. I just think I'm a bourbon. 
I like and a, a rye drinker. I like a lot of the Japanese whiskeys I've had, just not this one. So fair enough. I'm they've been hit or miss for me way more than they've been. I've had more hits with bourbon and more hits with rye. So, but on that note, guys, I reckon we're going to get off of here. Yeah. Um, we're letting you out of class a little bit early this week. It's only an hour and five minutes, roughly. So, I mean, that's not bad. You get 10 minutes to do your homework before your next class. <laughs> your whiskey homework. Yes. That's emailing us. Yes. For the love of God, <laughs> please email us. All please. Right. All right, y'all. All right, guys. Thank you for sticking around. Thank you for listening. Thank you for emailing. Thank you for donating. Thank you for being amazing. Thank you for subscribing. Yes, and rating and reviewing and doing all the other things that are going to make sure we keep going, making this last. And most importantly, thank you for not drinking and driving. Thank you for being a friend. (laughs) Don't drink and drive, guys. Cheers. Magic.